with you from Luke chapter 7. I'm reading this in support of the, um, the church's teaching out of God's Word, Lord's Day 2. Luke 7, beginning of verse 36, it has the title, A Sinful Woman Forgiven. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I've been asked to speak on Lord's Day 2 for this afternoon, so I do with pleasure, even though the topic is a a difficult one or painful one, because we enter into uh, the section of the church's teaching about, called Our Sin and Misery. So this is the first Lord's Day of three of them that speak about our sin and the feeling of misery that should fill our hearts on account of it. Lord, say too, from where do we know your sin and misery? From the law of God. 
What does God's law require of us? Christ teaches us this in a summary in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. A second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Can you keep all this perfectly? No. I'm inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. This has to be the lowest point in the church's teaching when it observes the fact that we are inclined by nature to hate God. I cannot help but to observe that. And the sermon this afternoon has as title, First the Bad News. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we read together from the Gospel according to Luke. We read a, an amazing uh, story, a true story about the life of Jesus Christ. And it's fairly clear from Luke 7, Luke 7 that this comes at a point when Jesus' ministry is beginning to gain momentum or, or is in full steam growing in momentum. Uh, this is the popular stage of his ministry. People are excited about him. They are clamoring for the opportunity to, to hear him teach and to preach, uh, to be touched by his hand. This is the time of his popular uh, growing reputation before the, um, the religious leaders have decided to resist him or even to kill him. There is no such thinking, or at least it's not very, it's, it's very behind the scenes at this point. So the ministry of Jesus Christ is, is building momentum. In the previous chapter, Jesus Christ had been speaking about John the Baptist as is natural at the beginning of his ministry because John was the forerunner for Jesus. He had been speaking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was, he was a, the last of the Old Testament prophets. And his whole demeanor, his whole, his whole ministry was, was like the Old Testament. Um, the kind of things that you would associate with uh, a prophet from the Old Testament, like Elijah or Elisha especially, because John the Baptist lived like Elijah. He lived in the wilderness. He wore um, um, a, a, a cloak of camel's hair. Uh, in today's fashion, that's a fairly nice jacket, but in the ancient world, that meant a, a very rough kind of chunk of leather that you just wrapped around you, and he had a, a belt just to hold it in place. He was a very rough character. Um, he was not given to fine poetry. And um, Matthew tells us that, he, um, that his diet consisted grasshoppers. He would crunch through grasshoppers and, and honey. 
John was a, a pretty rough character in his outward appearance, but also in the way that he spoke. He spoke powerfully and directly, and many people would say quite brutally, but he spoke effectively, and he had a way of reaching into people's hearts and exposing the things that they used, the devices that people used in order to hide their, their sins. He was a rough character, but he was an intelligent preacher of the gospel or preacher of God's word. John told people, you are very sinful. And he added, the problem with you being very sinful at this time is that the kingdom of God is just about to break. And if the kingdom of God comes and you're not ready, if you, the kingdom of God comes and you are in your sin and you have not repented of them and you have not found any way to hide from them, you, things are going to go very badly for you. And John used language that that seems very harsh to us. He said, you will burn in the fire forever. It will not be quenched. John, people made people, John made people feel badly for their behavior, and he made them feel afraid about the future, and therefore it wasn't uncommon during his preaching, for people to break out in loud wails and cries of fear because he made them feel so sinful and he, he left them feeling naked in the presence of God. They had nowhere to hide. And so... Being broken, they repented. And John would baptize them into the Jordan River so that they would experience in a very wonderful, symbolic way that God would use so that his spirit would fill a person's heart with a sense of peace. He would assure people that their sins really are forgiven by the mercy of God. And when John had performed this ministry, preaching the, preaching the word of God, warning people, breaking them down so that they would confess their sins and then leading them into the river and having their guilt washed into the water, then people felt, yes, I'm ready. I'm ready to meet my God. I am not afraid. The, um, the ministry of John the Baptist was designed to prepare people for the kingdom of God. And he, and he was able to do that because of the grace and the mercy of God that was being represented to the people at the Jordan River. 
People were able to hear John talk about their sins and to have him strip back their excuses because John talked about the grace of God. Because John, they knew that, that, God, that, that John would give them, that God would use John to give to them this sense of peace in their hearts through the washing of the Jordan River. And so the, the people came to John from all over the land to be ready, to get ready for the kingdom of God. But, but not everyone liked John's preaching. Some people didn't accept any of it. They wouldn't allow themselves to get near to John's preaching. They wouldn't let his, his words penetrate their hard hearts. They, it's possible that it's almost certain that many of them would not allow John's words to penetrate their minds. They wouldn't listen to him. They wouldn't hear him. They didn't want to know what he was preaching. But if they did listen to his preaching, they would not allow it to touch their hearts. It's not true, they would say. It's not true that I am sinful, that I am very sinful. It's not true that I'm not ready for the arrival of the great God in glory. It's not true that I need to repent and ask God for mercy or to receive the symbol of the washing in, in the Jordan River. They, they did not accept the preaching of John, and therefore, it's not surprising, they, they would not accept the preaching of Jesus either. That's to be expected, of course, because John is a forerunner for Jesus, and Jesus, when he began his ministry, he simply began repeating exactly the same thing that John did. As Matthew makes that point very clearly in Matthew 4. He says, when Jesus, um, after his baptism and temptation in the wilderness, then he began to go about the land, preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is hand. Exactly the same message as John the Baptist. Now, there was a, there was a woman that, that to, to, to represent this difference that was illustrated in the ministry of John the Baptist. Some people, they came to him, they experienced God's blessing, and they went home in peace. And some people resisted it. And they despised it. And, the, and they said, not for me. That's amazingly illustrated in the passage that we read together. About this woman who had heard about Jesus. And had heard that Jesus was a powerful preacher who who, like John, not only spoke about the, the need for repentance and stripped back the, the patterns that people use to hide their sins, but that Jesus also spoke about grace so that when people had heard Jesus preach, 
then they, they had this sense, maybe God doesn't hate me. Maybe God loves me. She, she had heard Jesus, or of Jesus, and she was very powerfully drawn to his message. Because this woman, described in Luke 7, she had lived a sinful life. And the word that, uh, that Luke uses is understood by all commentators to mean only one thing. She was a prostitute, for she... She accepted money from men to have sex with her. This woman heard that Jesus had accepted the invitation to a meal at uh, one of the leading Pharisees in town, a man named Simon, and she decided, I'm going to go too. She wanted to come to the home of Simon the Pharisee for a completely new reason. She, she took some, some money and she purchased some ointment and she brought it with her to the dinner. She went to the home of the Pharisee and she went into, his, into the house and she saw Jesus, and she came to stand at Jesus' feet. That is not a difficult thing, um, although it's maybe hard for us to picture, because when we think of sitting at a feast, then we think about sitting at a table, sort of like this table here, and you'd have chairs around the table, and people would be feasting, but that's not the way that people would do so in the ancient world. Tables and chairs was not part of their, their family uh, furniture. Uh, they would have couches uh, or, or benches, and they would lay stretched out upon that bench on their stomach or on their backs or on their sides, most likely, with a little, little table that from which they would eat and drink, and that way they could just talk together in a reclining position. So um, Jesus' feet were stretched behind him, his legs were stretched out behind him, and so this woman comes behind Jesus, and she's and so that's how she comes to stand at his feet. As she's standing there, she, she begins to cry. And the word that Luke uses is a word that, that, that identifies, you know, a quiet kind of weeping that produces tears, probably, but she's not crying out. There's no sound. And she is weeping tears, and the tears are streaming down her face, and they're falling on Jesus' feet. The reason why she was crying would be the same reason why people were crying during the ministry of John the Baptist, because Jesus brought the same message as John the Baptist. The, 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 her tears were... were sprung forth from a heart that was experiencing very powerfully two very contradictory emotions that produced a real, real emotional outburst that it's very difficult to control. 
On the one hand, she was experiencing in the presence of Jesus, because Jesus represents all the messages that he had been bringing, and when she's standing at his feet, she, it, it all rushes to her mind, everything that Jesus has been saying. The, Jesus has been communicating to her, as to everybody, that God loves us, and God desires us, and God, God is working for us, and he's going to take care of us. She was experiencing a, a sense of hope because of the kindness of, of God that Jesus Christ had been teaching. At the same time, she was filled with this awareness of her own sinfulness, what a, what a brute she has been toward God. How completely unfaithful she has been to the God of her people. How miserable she has been towards a God who had been so kind to him. Now, this woman had been making a living from the sex trade. And in order to, for her to, to do her work, she has always had to, to push God away. It's impossible to be engaged in such profession while being close to God. She has to push God away in order to get about her business. She probably was very angry with God, and she probably blamed God for the mess that her life had become. The people in town knew who she was. Whenever, wherever she went, they said, there goes that sinful woman, because when she appears at Jesus' feet and weeps on, on his feet, then Simon the Pharisee says, if he knew what sort of woman this was, to them, it was an offense that she should be present at all. And she feels this animosity, this, this sense of, I'm despised by my community. It's hard for her not to, to blame somebody. And she probably blamed God. She probably also hated what she was doing. That is always a, a, a safe assumption when a person is living in sin. Sin never brings rewards. A person is tempted into sin because Satan always is promising us all kinds of rewards. Um, and we're drawn to commit those deeds because we're, we're looking for that reward that Satan is promising. And, and we never get what we expect. And the, the rewards diminish the more, the deeper we become engaged in that sinful behavior. This woman was experiencing that too, of course. 
it's a, it's a fairly well-known thing that people in the sex trade, they don't want to be there. They're quite often forced by circumstance to enter into that trade. She hated what she did. She's blaming God for her bad situation. But deep inside, as in the heart of every human being, because we, we are created in the image of God, deep inside her, there is this awareness that one day she will have to give an account for her life. And so, as in the heart of every human being, there is, and because and she's a child of the covenant, she's an Israelite, and so it's more than just conscience, there's also the revelation of, of the glory of God in her childhood, and at least... There is inside her this unimaginable terror of one day having to stand before God and having no place to hide anymore. But then she heard Jesus preaching. Jesus, just like John the Baptist, he said, Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. He too, like John, he spoke about how sinful we are and how great the need for us is to, to make it right, to, to become ready for the arrival of the judge. Jesus also spoke such words. But, Je but Jesus also, like John, spoke about God's love. And God's desire to forgive us and God's intention to make it right for us. To take away our guilt. God does not want to throw his people. He doesn't want to throw anybody into that terrible fire. And he wants to save us. She, she, she's heard Jesus speak this way. And he's not just a prophet who is commissioned and, and given the responsibility to speak on God's behalf, as in the Old Testament, God spoke to us. But he's the son, as we had heard this morning. And so his message is powerful, is more powerful, and more wonderful. It's more horrible in the sense that it exposes our sins and leaves nobody with any place to hide, but more wonderful because he communicates the love of God much more powerfully. And this woman found herself listening to a preacher of the gospel, and she is thinking, maybe it's true, maybe God does not hate me. Maybe God cares about me. Maybe God desires me like I've never experienced being desired before. And so, in her heart, as she's standing at the foot of Jesus, there arises not only this awareness of how bad she's been to God, but also this awareness of 
the goodness of God towards her that gives to life uh, the, the feeling of hope. A feeling of hope for the distant future. And for the first time in her life, this is what conversion is, brothers and sisters. For the first time in her life, because she knows, because she can dare to imagine that God desires her and will make it right for her, that God loves her, she can dare for the first time to be completely honest with God. She decides that she can tell God, yes, God, I am a sinful person. And she can tell God terrible things that she has done. It's the love of God that Jesus has preached which has made her feel safe to just be honest. To, to speak everything that's in her heart with God. She's, she has come into the house of Simon the Pharisee. She's, she's standing at Jesus' feet and she's overwhelmed by these two opposing feelings that come crashing together inside her heart. The feeling of how evil she is and how beautiful God is towards her. It's the teaching of Jesus that has made this possible. And her heart breaks, and she's no longer able to, she can't, to her surprise, she's, she's just completely crying. And the tears are streaming out of her eyes because she has tasted the love of God. And she has experienced the rising of hope and the possibility that maybe this life that she hates can be a, can be a life that she will abandon. Because she has, she has been desired as she had never been before. Desired in a pure and holy way. And she can trust another. She can trust somebody completely and openly. And so she's, she's, she's weeping at Jesus' face at Jesus' feet, and the tears are falling upon his feet. And she wipes them with her hair, and she kisses them until Jesus' feet are dry. And when his feet are clean, cleaned by the tears that fall from her eyes and by the scrubbing of his feet with her hair, and dried with the kisses of her lips. Then she pours the, the ointment on his feet and works it into the skin of his feet. Because there's no act of devotion too much for her to do for 
somebody that has expressed the love of God as purely and as convincingly as Jesus did. And so that, brothers and sisters, is why she's crying. She's crying because she, she's discovered her sin. Revealed to her by the mouth of her Lord. And when she discovers her sin that has been exposed by Jesus, who represents the law, she feels total misery at her sin. And she can express how badly she feels only because she at the same time has experienced and feels the love of God. And that's what our Lord's Day is all about. The Heidelberg Catechism is, is written uh, in order to comfort us. And so we go from Lord's Day to Lord's Day in pursuit of that that pray. This is what we look for. We are in pursuit of comfort. But comfort begins in the most unlikely place. It begins in the most uncomfortable place. Comfort begins by accepting and expressing misery. Comfort begins by admitting the truth about ourselves and acknowledging I am no better than this woman. When I read the story, I know that God came for her. And Jesus became her Savior. Jesus came for her just in the same way that he came for me and for you. Because we're all very sinful people. But what is unique, what is so magnificently unique about the Bible I mean, religions around the world are willing to expose human weaknesses in order that they may say, here's the solution. But what is absolutely unique about the Bible is that the Bible creates this safe place where we can speak openly in the presence of God about who we are and what we have done. We can speak this way because we know that very soon the Heidelberg Catechism is going to speak openly about salvation. It's going to talk to us about the love of God and it's going to reveal to us in careful detail all the amazing things that God did in order that he might bring salvation to us. 
We, we know that that's coming. We know that it's safe to speak to God about how bad we are, that it's hopeless unless he gives us hope. Now, there is this Pharisee, Simon the Pharisee, who is hosting this party. It seems quite clear that the Pharisee, he had no appreciation for his own sinfulness. It's clear he doesn't feel misery on account of his sinfulness. He is not humbled by an awareness of the bad things that he has done about how poorly he has treated God. And therefore, he, he has never come to a point where he can be open and honest in his conversation with God. And this has become Israel's problem. It is the reason why the people, many of the people, the religious, the religious leaders in particular, never gravitated to John the Baptist, never accepted the, the fundamental message that Jesus was bringing, and very soon as Jesus' ministry begins to gain more and more momentum, the, the religious leaders begin to oppose Jesus, until in the end, the religious leaders have positioned the people to cry out, for the death of Jesus and the wholesale rejection of Jesus. They would not accept the message of Jesus because the Lord Jesus Christ pressed upon people how sinful they are. And he would strip back their their, their the things that they used to hide their sins. They never learned to put their trust in God. The people who were most religious in a public sense, it turns out, are the least religious in an essential sense because they don't get Jesus. And the, that's an important observation to make. This woman gets Jesus. She understands what Jesus Christ is about fundamentally. The religious leaders do not. And that was, a, that was the problem in Israel in general. And it became the overwhelming problem on, on that Passover. The question, therefore, that the church needs to ask herself, and the question which each of us needs to ask themselves is, do you get Jesus? It's 
It's normal to, to want to hide from God. It's quite normal for sinful people, that is. It's quite normal for sinful people to shift the blame, especially to blame God for problems in our lives. It's normal for us to be aware of our sinfulness, but to always look for others who are responsible for it. We will always do that until we, we become aware of the grace of God, until we begin to believe in the love of God, and we are willing to stand in the light of his love. Because it's only when we trust God's love that we will at last be willing to be honest in the presence of God and tell him the struggles we have, the sins we've committed, the hopelessness we feel in terms of this struggle that I've got. It's only in the glory of God's love that we will be able to enter into his love as humble sinners. Like this woman, whose humility is on her sleeve, who is so clearly, so obviously humble as she's weeping tears and wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, which is her glory, her hair and kissing his feet. God was good to her. And God is good to, to you. And so, trust in God and be honest in his presence. Stop hiding and believe in his love. Confess your sins. It is tough. It is painful but it is hopeful for weeping comes with the night, but joy comes with the morning light. Amen.